I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Hi, I'm Tegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Sure is. Guess what? What? It's June. It's June. Which means it's almost summertime. It's almost summertime. I'm very, very excited about it. I'm at it. a very high decibel. What if I just stayed here the whole time? Please don't. <laughs> I Look, I'm trying to be on a very chill vibe right now. Megan's just talking to me about how she's like, I'm just going to be radically compassionate compassionate and chill i just look it's, it's really the goal it really is like i've started trying to like meditate again like i just feel like the world is such a bonkers place that i really like myself better when i try to like other humans you know when i like myself better oh when when i <laughs> scared <laughs> <laughs> low-key nervous i was like trying to make it this smooth segue and you're like we're talking about bikinis today keegan oh, it's not okay. gonna be that I, serious i thought you were about to get real deep and i was <gasps> no no like, no i don't know if i'm ready like i've had like a glass of wine i'm in a real good kind of relaxed state of being we're no. going into summer which I, I was about to say is like my favorite time well i, just, I was gonna say i like myself better when i have a little bit of a suntan and my freckles are oh out. gosh i just love i really like most seasons like i don't like being really cold but like fall and spring love them they're beautiful that kind of temperate but there is something about summer where it's just like as soon as it gets warm enough i want to be by a body of water and you, you don't want to do anything else. Oh, no. I just, I want to fall asleep in the sun like a yep. lizard. Like, I just, I, I love it. I want my body part in the water, part mm -hmm. in the sun. 
I want to bake. I want to float. I want to be something. soggy. Yeah, yeah, it's just all of that is so, so, so good. Satisfying. To me. And when you think of the summer and beaches, you think about bikinis and you, swimwear. You do. You do. So I wanted to start off this conversation talking about um, the history of bikinis, which is what we're talking about today, uh, which is which is feminist. God damn it! Uh, and I'll stand by it throughout this episode, <laughs> but. I wanted to start it off talking about summer and summer bodies, right? right. And so Which we I, have talked about before. We, we have. have had an episode on that, but it's good to have a refresher. Well, we've had episodes on like body image and stuff like that, but I think particularly there is this panic that arises in a lot of people. And so I want to give um, a trigger warning at the top of this episode. I mean, we're talking about bikinis, which means we're also going to be talking about body image uh, and objectification of bodies and things like that. So just be aware of that as we move through this episode. But I do feel like there is something about summertime that can give a lot of people, including myself, less so now that I'm older, but definitely in the past, can give a lot of people a lot of apprehension mm-hmm. because there is all that talk about like summer bodies. Is your summer body ready yet? Your are bikini you bikini body. body ready? Right? Like all of those things because you are most likely it's hot. You're going to be bearing more skin. And right. we live in a society that tells us that your body has to be a certain size and look a certain way in order to reveal it. Right. Yeah. And or in order to wear certain things. Yeah. And for that to be accepted by yeah. society. So how do you feel about, I mean, tell how people do I how fe- you feel about like summer bodies and about, like that entire concept. I mean, it's fucking bullshit. It doesn't matter. The body you're in right now is perfectly fine for whatever season you may be in at the moment. I am a firm believer in finding clothes that fit your body, not having a body that fits your clothes. And I think that swimwear is such a big part of that. And I think that no matter what you feel comfortable in wearing, it's all about having fun wherever you are. And I think that there's such a horrible... You know, I guess there's just this horrible stigma that girls hang on to that when they're in a bikini or a swimsuit at the beach that everybody's staring at them and looking at them and scrutinizing what they look like and things like that. But I think that once you realize that you can kind of shed that apprehension, you start to feel better. And actually, the bikini was a big thing for me in my recovery from my eating disorder. I remember going to the first kind of like alumni retreat thing where we all got together and we went to Carolyn Costin's house on the beach and we were doing like paddle boarding and we just had this awesome beach day and before we started we all got together and had this conversation about how this is a space where everybody can feel comfortable in their bodies if that means you want to wear a bikini and challenge yourself to feel comfortable in that this is a space for you to do so if you're more comfortable keeping yourself covered up you know having that conversation was really wonderful and also seeing so many people of all different shapes and sizes and in different states of undress was very liberating to me because it mm-hmm. made me it gave me examples that weren't just what I saw online or what I saw in magazines of what girls in bikinis are supposed to look like. And granted, this was back in like 2011-ish or so, so things have changed a lot since then. But to me, to see people with stretch marks, cellulite, you know, different types of bodies in all shapes and sizes, 
just like be cool with being practically naked. My mom started wearing bikinis like very late in life. I'd only ever seen her wear one pieces my entire childhood. And now she rocks a bikini. I think that it is very tied to having bravery in our expression and in our bodies when we've been told for so long that we need to be covered up unless we look a very specific sort of way. Right. I think it's very interesting and we're going to get into it more as we talk about the history uh, and what has become of the concept of the bikini. But for me, I think it's the same reason why, you know, whenever we went to that spa where we were all naked, it's why like that felt empowering to me. It's why bearing my body. I like to wear a lot of crop tops. I'll wear things that are low cut. Like I like to do that. It feels empowering to me and it's empowering for me to see other people like yeah. that. Right. I for can recognize me, the beauty in others whenever I get to see their bodies. Like it's an impact. Like, so for me, the bikini and also the history of the bikini can be a very empowering garment. It's right. that society has then taken that and we've, we've, put it underneath this like patriarchal structure we've let people um dictate it's, through societal it's norms it's literally the male gaze that makes us uncomfortable with bikinis absolutely and with wearing anything that's more revealing like we have a new security guard right now that there's no reason for me to feel uncomfortable around him i just do it's <laughs> like, a vibe sometimes he, you get is, a vibe he asks me too many questions like there's just things that make me uncomfortable about him and like yesterday i was wearing like really short levi's cutoffs and i was wearing a crop top because fucking hot out and it was really hot in the store and I was telling my friend I was like I really hate that I'm wearing this and don't have a sweater because like he just kept coming up and talking to me and just feeling that amount of flesh exposed sure made me feel very yeah and it shouldn't make you feel that way no because like because I don't want you because I'm the same way I'm like I want to like I want to feel sexy and feel good in my body and wear these things and be comfortable I don't like the attention that I get in response if my nipples are showing yeah you know certain things like that I will say that certainly because I am somebody who I'm pretty small chested I don't have to wear a bra very often and if I don't have to I usually don't don't. Right. Uh, and I used to not barely ever like I would yeah. go out. I would go out most often without a bra on. But as I've gotten older, I have become more self-conscious of that uh, because I do feel like people are staring at me. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to feel that way. It should be this empowering thing of like I should be you, able to not wear a bra and run to the store and not be worried about someone staring at my tits in the right, checkout counter. Right, right. You don't you know, have to be like, worried that you're in like a refrigerated section and you're like, are my nipples poking out? Or, or if you're wearing like a crossbody bag and you're not wearing a bra, God mm-hmm. forbid. Like that's a big one for me. I'm like, I literally look like I'm you got your boobs showing them too. off. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's not the point. I just didn't want to wear a bra to the grocery store. God damn it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's... There's a lot of male influence when it comes to swimwear and everything. And I think that that also really plays a big part into why we've felt that way. One, about our bodies and two, about the objectification, because so much of like what's been told is in style has been told to us by men. Oh, absolutely. But still because of the history of swimwear, which we're going to get into, which was so deeply regressive um, and harmful and actually resulted in uh, deaths, actually. Uh, (laughs) um, We'll get there. We'll talk a little bit about... um, the bikini did represent it was the symbol of like 
female liberation yeah in a lot of ways and i uh, think it still is in a really really and big it can way. be yeah. it can be it's all like about how you look at it if really. you're looking at the heads of the tails of the coin just mm-hmm. depends yeah so well, let's jump in to talking about the history let's do it we keep swimwear. saying we're gonna talk about it <laughs> let's just get into it so we've discussed some of this history in past episodes i was uh kind of reminiscing a bit when I was taking my notes on the history of undergarments episode that we did yeah, like forever ago years ago yeah. forever ago but a lot of it was very similar when we're talking about you know the pre-Roman times even and the kind of bikini athletic type wear that women would wear right it's kind of hard to talk about because all of those outfits were used not only as bathing garments. So the first yeah. recorded use of a bathing costume was in Greece in 350 BC. And there are several mosaics uh, throughout Rome as well that depict women wearing bikini-esque outfits. But they didn't just wear them for water-related activities. They right. wore them for sporting events, including weightlifting, discus throwing, and running. It was so- more like... An overall athletic mm-hmm. wear yeah, for the time. No matter mm-hmm. what sort of sport you did, you would wear the same kind of get up. Right. And that shouldn't really surprise us too much because the Greeks and the Romans were considered to be fairly free with their bodies. We know this. I also want to state that when we're talking about the history of swimwear, um, we are looking at it from mostly a Western perspective. Yes, yeah, very It's very important. specific to Western history uh, because I'm sure if we were to dive deeper into other cultures, we would see a lot of other things. Um, but talking specifically about Western culture, because after that, I mean, we're going to fast forward, or at least in my notes, oh, yeah. we fast forward to like the 18th century. Which well, because is- it wasn't even, it wasn't seen as a seemly thing to do. You didn't really publicly bathe and women weren't encouraged to go swimming. You know what I mean? So it it wasn't really like a fun activity to do. Right. Well, it wasn't until like the 18th century. So like the 1700s. So the Christian West discouraged swimming and outdoor bathing, like you just said, especially for women. So the practice didn't become widespread again until the 18th century when sea bathing became a popular activity due to the health benefits it was said to provide. So because showering turns out is good for you yeah it turns out cleaning your body is a pretty good thing to do uh getting rid of a lot of that bacteria especially is in like seawater like you got that like mm-hmm, sea salt, salt going and like, it's really purifying your skin real good and i will say the amount or the number of books i've read old old novels i've read especially like 18th century novels right. where they're like go to the sea for your health yeah. right like that happens the all air the, time. the sea, the sea air, air will help yeah mm-hmm. yeah still though immersing oneself was completely discouraged and deemed especially important for women as activity in water was not seen as feminine enough like yes. they were like you need to be by the ocean and even the sea water was good for you but, but they you can't basically be in it. they basically had these like loose open gowns that resemble resembled like nightgowns there it's like a flannel shift dress yes. is how i was reading yeah. it but then you would wear like pantaloons underneath it so you're wearing like a lot of layers and it was like and you weren't neck, swimming no it was like no. neck to ankle coverage and you had these skirts and then 
It did not look fun it, to be in the water. It in. didn't look fun. And even if you were to just kind of wade in the water so that the skirt wouldn't fly up, they would sew weights into the hems of their skirts. Yes, exactly. So that if they were to kind of wade in the water, there wouldn't be any unseemly ankle yes, or anything that yeah. would be witnessed. So you couldn't swim, that's no. for sure. I mean, and those, were, drown. those were even <laughs> like lighter weight, which people did drown yeah. because moving into the 19th century, right? So by the 19th century, water activities for women were not considered unladylike necessarily. However, with the popularity of Victorian virtue, it was incredibly important that women remain modest and proper while enjoying their outdoor water activities. Yes, modesty is more important than fun. Right, way more important. And so these bathing outfits, so before... Look, didn't look like a great time because it's like this nightgown situation, Um, but at least it looked a little lighter weight. You go into the 19th century and you're talking about like a bathing dress that consists of like drawers and stockings. It was often made of wool or cotton. If you look at these pictures of these things, they look essentially like what anyone would have worn in Victorian England just on the beach. So yeah, it's very bizarre. It doesn't look like anything you would want to wear wet. No, you absolutely (laughs) would not want to wear them wet. And also they continued with sewing heavy things into the bottom of these dresses and people did drown. Yeah, because a wave will take you in and you have any, you're already weighted down by the wool and you're in the water. Exactly. And then you have the waist added to it. I once fell into the lake when I had like a full on like gap hoodie and sweatpants on and tennis shoes and everything. Mm -hmm. And man, pulling myself onto the dock when that sweatsuit was soaking with water, you get heavy. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we don't just swim in like our bra and underwear, right? I mean, like occasionally, sure, if you're jumping into the water, but like- But there is resistance there. Yeah, because it, it, it holds in the liquid, Yeah, right? So you're talking about these outfits that do look like, Really, they look like Victorian gowns, right? With bloomers underneath them and the bottoms of which have things sewn into them. Yeah. So, yeah, people were dying. People were actually dying. Um, Look, people are dying. We need to do something about this. Not practical. But they're like, they're just women. It's fine. (laughs) And there were even these things called bathing machines, which were little wooden houses on wheels that would be drawn. This is how preoccupied we were about like making sure you caught not a glimpse. Not even a nary a glimpse. Nary a a glimpse of an ankle, right? Like, so there were these bathing, (laughs) these bathing machines, which were like wooden houses that were brought out into the middle of the water. Fun. Okay. And they were basically like outdoor changing rooms. It sounds like an ice house for like ice fishing, but not in the cold. It was, it's very weird. There are drawings of these things. Yeah. And they were made essentially so that you could in the middle of the sea, change (laughs) your clothes and get directly into the water so that you never even, there was no like gap in your, (laughs) you never saw any sort of person. You were just suddenly in the water. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. And then fun. you get directly out of the water back into your bathing machine. Yeah. And change back into your clothes before being taken to shore. It, I mean, that it, it's truly what's wrong with us. I mean, uh, it's something that I'm going to mention a lot later in my nose is just the preoccupation with belly buttons. Why? Why do we care so much? It's truly just 
I am tired all the time. Was it on my worst date that I went on my belly button rant? Yes. Okay. It was. You you guessed it on my worst date, my other podcast, right before the pandemic. And you did yeah. have a, there was a lengthy discussion about belly buttons. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know I've had this discussion. I'm not going to go into it now. Find the episode. I, I hate belly buttons. Don't touch mine. It fucking hurts. I don't like them. But at the same time, I'm like, what is society's deal with like, oh my God. The dreaded belly button. It's very weird. I mean, at least <gasps> at angle. this at least at this point in time, you can kind of be like, yeah, Victorians were weird. Like their preoccupation with sex and sexualizing the female body in in particular was weird. Like the fact that your collarbone or your ankle was considered seductive sexual. or sexual in some way. Um, but as we move into the 20th century, it does get weirder because the preoccupation, I feel like because of the way that progress works, right? When the clothes were getting smaller and smaller, they had to eventually be like, well, ankles are fine. Well, wrists are fine. Well, collarbones are fine. But we draw the line. Yeah. We draw the line at the belly button. Oh, Like they were like, we cannot. Oh, yeah. We can't cross that line. And they That was a huge bridge to cover. Like the belly button was like the biggest bridge the swimsuit had to get over. Truly, and we're going to get into it, but like truly... That's what makes the bikini the bikini because there were two-piece swimsuits for quite a bit of time, but it was when we dared to reveal the navel that that became suddenly this like huge, scandalous, wow, a bridge too far. Do you remember the conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift didn't have a belly button because she always wore really high-waisted pants and crop tops? She just knew what looked good on her. That's fine. It's just funny because you literally never saw a belly button. It's like, where is it? Yeah. (laughs) Does she have one? Everybody, everybody calm down. I just can't. I just feel like everyone has way too much time on their hands to be concerned about this stuff. Leave Taylor's belly button alone. Just everybody leave each other alone. If somebody wants to reveal their ankle or their belly button, just fuck off. Okay? Like enough. Leave them alone. And with that being said, we encourage you. (laughs) I know. The end of the episode. Um, So going into the 20th century. So in the early 20th century, swimming emerged as a competitive sport, which forced the women's swimsuit to undergo major changes. So the 20th century is when we really start to see rapid fire changes to swimwear. Yes. So they're not so much, it seems in the US, but in other parts of the world, swimming did become more accept it did become more accessible mm-hmm. as a sport for both men and women. There was one woman in particular by the name of Annette Kellerman, who mm-hmm. is incredibly fascinating. I actually kind of went on a little side gook just all about her in general. Uh, she was possibly arrested but possibly not I read that as well yeah Um, I I like the reality where she was and I I think most people at least it's like as legend tells right you know or it's a story that just boosts it you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah most people um report that it did happen but then there are a couple negative nancies out there who say that there aren't any there isn't any actual like evidence of like police records or whatever Yeah. yeah 
1907, Australian swimmer Annette Kellerman was allegedly arrested in Boston on a beach for wearing a one-piece item she called swimming tights, which covered her from neck to ankle, but was form-fitting. So this is like if you were to go out and buy like a bodysuit mm-hmm. that was just like kind of like a cat suit, very tight all the way up, but it covered her entire body. There was nothing. Yeah. There was no skin really that was inappropriate that was showing, but it was very tight. form-fitting. Yeah. yeah. So initially it looked like, and I think I talked about um, Annette Kellerman a little bit when I talked about that other swimmer yes, uh, from Australia, Fanny, can't remember her last name. You're so much better at names than I am. I always <laughs> forget the names. Uh, but she, so this this costume, first of all, she started swimming because she had polio and rickets as a child. Yeah. So she was swimming as a means to like strengthen her legs. So it was really... Um, utilitarian in a way for her uh, and she was one of the first women to attempt to swim the English Channel Yeah, and she refused to wear these kind of like cumbersome swimming garments because of course you cannot swim the English Channel wearing a woolen dress and no. bloomers like it just doesn't make any sense and she was asked to perform for the royal family and was told that what she wore to swim in was immodest. And so what she had worn to swim in looked like a wrestler's leotard. Mm-hmm. So it was cut off above the knee. It looked like kind of like bike shorts leotard. Yeah, it's like a thing. singlet. Yeah. yeah. Um, with like short sleeves. But they were like, you can't wear that. So she actually sewed tights onto that, which created that full body leotard suit kind right. of thing. But again... It's so arbitrary because you can, yeah, you can't see her actual skin beneath the tights, but you still see her body. Like her body is is very much on display because it's a tight outfit. Yeah. But even that was seen as being incredibly inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And she kind of took this newfound fame and kind of decided to spur this line of swimwear herself. Well, didn't kind of decide. Wow. She did decide Mm -hmm. to start her own line of swimwear called the Annette Kellerman's, where she sold very similar items for people to wear. Um, Kellerman's were controversial at the time with the with the majority of the American public finding it indecent. She continued to trailblaze in her eventual acting career and would become yeah. one of the first major film actresses to appear nude in a movie titled A Daughter of the Gods. Which she looks beautiful in. She's a I looked babe. at uh, her, there's like a still image on Wikipedia from that movie, and I was like, wow, like she looks like a goddess. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Yeah. Megan was getting busy today. Listen, I- <laughs> If I've learned anything about myself, it's that I'm... Anyway, we don't anyway, need to... Annette Kellerman. Not the point. And so female swimming as a sport was first like officially introduced to the world at the 1912 Olympic Games. And that's really what I feel like probably put the swimsuit on the map on a more broader scale because we're starting to see people from all over the world in their swimwear and what they're doing. I mean, it's not like it's televised, but you know what I mean? Like there was more public consciousness about what swimwear looked like during the Olympics. Highly publicized. You can go back and listen to that episode that uh, where I talked about Fanny, what's her name? Uh, Wow, we're horrible. (laughs) We've done a lot of episodes, but she was also Australian, I believe, and competed in that Olympics as a swimmer. And 
there was a lot of controversy about what they wore to the point where they had to get a lot of people in order to even go to the Olympics. They had to get a lot of people involved in um, helping them fundraise money to even make it there. That's right. I'm remembering that now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a really big deal, which again is just so silly. It's so silly. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But there was a designer by the name of Carl Jansen who was very much inspired by the Olympics. And he was the first person to create a two-piece swimwear item. And this included kind of like what Keegan described earlier with like the short Mm -hmm. t-shirt one piece. This became a two-piece. So it kind of looked like shorts and a top. And Jansen was also the first person to coin the term swimsuit rather than bathing suit because he didn't want it to be for bathing. He wanted it to be for activity and swimming. Mm -hmm. And he called his line the Red Diving Girl. And the logo is just like, oh, so very vintage classic looking it's like a woman in a one piece like diving into yeah. the water in a red bathing suit and I believe that he if he didn't design it then it was based on his designs a lot of those old school like men's swimsuits that you'll yeah. see from like way way back when uh, that are like shorts and what looks like kind of like a vest yeah. top um, are also kind of modeled off of his design so that's kind of what we're talking about here it is a two piece technically but there's no real like midriff showing it's no. like a, it's like a top and like bike shorts it just looks like it'd be easier to go to the bathroom and that's oh, the improvement yeah. but it really yes because <laughs> from a distance it kind of doesn't look very different from the one pieces right um, that had existed previously but they were 
two separate pieces technically. Right. Yeah. And they were still made out of like pretty heavy fabric as well. Yeah. In the woolen. Beginning. Yeah. Um, they Why were was made- everyone using wool? Like I just don't. Was there no were there no alternatives? Well, like, then I don't they get were it. using rayon, which is like kind of the same way. Like it would make it more form fitting, but it doesn't do super well when it's wet. And it wasn't until the 1930s that latex and nylon began being used to make swimwear, as they still do today. Right. So after World War One, we started seeing what we would think of as a more modern swimsuit, though they were again, like you said, still made from that woolen fabric that was machine shapen when wet which i imagine for designers was probably really annoying right because like you spend all of this time designing this thing that the second it gets wet which is its function yeah (laughs) um, it becomes completely misshapen so towards the end of the 1920s tanned skin was no longer considered a marker for the working class it became Mm -hmm. something that was really in fashion yeah thanks to the nazi sympathizer racist designer coco oh Chanel. god we could have a whole conversation we in need fact to. we should have an entire episode about coco chanel fuck coco uh, chanel because yikes um yikes but she really popularized the suntan her privilege <laughs> popularized the suntan and so women were starting to kind of like have to hike up their shorts and things uh-huh. like that and were on unha- or like you know move their sleeves around like they were unhappy with the tan lines that they were getting uh-huh. so yeah. the swimsuit had to kind of adapt to this new desire right of it's tanness it's, it's so interesting like fashion is so interesting and in what what goes in and out of fashion because of course previously pale skin was in fashion um for some racist reasons, but also because it meant that you didn't have to labor outside and so that your skin could remain same thing with lily white. And same thing with being like on the heavier side, those that were Mm -hmm. heavier were seen as being, you know, better because they were more wealthy and could afford to have, you don't have to work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But then it became having a tan meant that you could afford to go on vacation. You could afford to holiday. You had leisure time. Mm -hmm. You had leisure time. So in 1932, there was a designer who patented a backless swimsuit with a built-in brassiere for the sole purpose of avoiding tan lines from swimsuit straps while sunbathing. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to see the hemlines come up a little bit as they were already in the 1920s in in dresses and things like that. And then also we are now starting to see more revealing backs. Yes. And also like what you said, straps as well. It started Mm -hmm. being these like kind of short sleeved get ups and they were these straps so you women could move them down if they didn't want you know the strap on their shoulder when they're tanning and things right. like that yeah. so there was all these modifications that were being made to make it easier for women to choose when they wanted to show more skin and not to right. and things like because that. if you think about the flapper dresses of the time as well you're talking about these sleeveless gowns sometimes not always um but sleeveless gowns were becoming more and more popular so the last thing you wanted was to be on the beach in one of these swimming garments that came halfway down the shoulder and have that like farmer's tan across your arm (laughs) yeah uh, and then go out that night you know like it's just it didn't make sense it would be unseemly yeah you wanted your swimwear to emulate your dress wear basically So the 19- and don't we still do that now? Oh, like, yeah. I'm not going to wear a swimsuit with a cross back and lay on my stomach and get a you know cross back tan line if I'm going to wear a uh-huh. backless something coming up. You it's know? why I own so many strapless swimsuits. Seriously, yeah. I'm just like I know that like throughout the summer, like I already said, I love wearing a spaghetti strap 
top or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want that like real stark tan line. I'm not 15 anymore. Yeah, it's not cool. It's not, there was it's a, not a status symbol. I feel like really in the early 2000s. Can we talk about tan lines like as a status Um, symbol? This girl used to go to tanning beds in yeah. high school. Did you wear the, um, the Playboy stickers? sticker? Yeah. Okay, Playboy. I think I maybe did that. Like I think I might have tried it once, but I always did the first time I remember doing a peace sign. And uh-huh. it was so difficult because you had to line it up exactly yeah. right every single time. And I remember doing like a star another time because that one was super easy but I you always did it like yeah I got kind of below your underwear yes. it was like kind of sexy right by your hip bone yeah I really gotta I gotta emphasize this for our Gen Z listeners you don't understand like the <laughs> the tan line not just that which was a huge thing like I knew so many girls who got the Playboy Bunny yeah sticker which for me was just like my mom would never have let me you know <laughs> so that was like wow yeah but also, it was more than that. It was like even you wanted to have that that like triangle bikini strap line line halter line because it meant not only like first of all tanning was a huge thing, but also it was like you wear bikinis. Like you yeah. wear triangle bikinis, right? Like it it said something about you. It was this kind of like status thing. As an adult now, I'm like, no tan lines, please. Yeah, that's tacky. I don't but want back it. But then, as a kid, it was a badge of honor. Oh, especially in the Midwest, if you go away somewhere during the winter mm-hmm. and then you come back to school and you're tan as fuck mm-hmm. and everyone had their hair braided with beads in it and had yep. tan lines and Lots crusty of cultural noses. Ap- appropriation happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, but like for real, I mean, it was kind of the same thing that we're talking about where it was the status symbol thing. Like you could afford to go away in the winter. Which That's totally like a big, makes it's sense. It's a big deal, you know? Yeah. So the 1930s also saw more daring designs in terms of showcasing the midriff Mm -hmm. through suits. So you'll see if you look at a lot of um, old school kind of pinups going into World War II and and just before World War II, there are a lot of these like Hollywood glamour girls who are wearing these two-piece swimsuits that look like kind of high-waisted shorts, like something Taylor Swift would wear. It's what I was going to say, like a a high-waisted short and around this time, also they started hiking up the panels on the sides of the legs a little bit too so it was like a short short it kind of went up on the sides a little bit but it didn't have that really high Mm -hmm. leg cut so it was like a booty short almost that went up past your belly button right and then you had you know a top that still had you know a thicker band around the bottom so it was a very small amount yeah you had maybe two two inches of skin between the top of your shorts and the bottom of your top. So it was like but the it was shorts, skin. But it was skin. It was skin and it was very distinctly two pieces. Whereas before two piece swimsuits were like we said, kind of it just looked like one thing. You yeah. Know? Exactly. And this was like, wow, we're actually showing a little bit of skin here. Um, and this style became even more popular during World War II when the U.S. government ordered a 10% reduction in fabric used in women's swimwear. So notably, as we said before, the belly button was not exposed, which was largely influenced by Hollywood and the Hayes Code, which yeah. we talked about before. Um, but if you're not familiar, the Hayes Code is a strict motion picture, or was a strict motion picture censorship code that existed from 1922 to 1945. And it prohibited a lot of really wacky stuff, some kind of like off the wall stuff, some really racist stuff, yeah. some very homophobic and transphobic stuff, of course. Um, but one of the things that also prohibited on screen 
was actresses showing their navel. Yeah. Specifically. Specifically. Which is very weird. It's very weird. And what's interesting about the Hayes Code, and we've talked about this in the past too, is that I believe it started in 1930, but there were quite a few years, like six years or so, where it wasn't really like super enforced. It started so in 1922, still, okay, but it yeah. was kind of loosey-goosey. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so it wasn't really enforced right away because I was reading about... Um, I have her name written somewhere. Her name was Maureen something. I want to say it was Maureen O'Sullivan who was in two of the Tarzan movies. Oh, sure. During Mm -hmm. the Hayes Code time or whatever. But it was like just before it was like being enforced and enacted. So there Mm -hmm. were some movies out there. And, you know, there was a lot of like local movie houses that refused to show certain movies during that time because of it. There was one movie house in Kansas City that showed a movie with a woman's, you know, navel in it. And they asked to have it like removed like they what, like smudged what? it out and then they okay. could show the film because that looks better like like <laughs> what, what do you think is going to happen like what do you think is going to happen but I mean honestly to me it reminds me of watching Bachelor in Paradise and like they have a black box over every single girl's butt and I'm like we Come know on. what a, we butt, know what looks a like. butt looks like. It's just so bizarre. It's just weird to me because it's just like, what do you think is going to happen to your audience if they see that woman's belly button? They're going to faint and die. And all the men are going to get really hard. I mean, honestly, that's the only I'm like, it's just it's so stupid. It's so patriarchal Truly, and dumb. It is. It's just this policing. And especially in a movie like Tarzan, where you have a man who's pretty pretty naked revealed. yeah yeah in, in that movie what a strange thing to get hung up on yeah but, i mean it it's true and we'll see that throughout this entire story that hollywood really did have a big influence on swimwear yeah uh, because swimwear is so intricately tied to revealing clothing yeah and you know hollywood paid, played a big hand in oh. what we deemed to be acceptable societally yeah and sex was such a big seller in hollywood at during its like golden era as well and something that i did not know about that was very fascinating to me and it was kind of how i mean i knew that you know french designers things like that mm-hmm. like all those swimsuits were always like the french european whatever designs first so that i already knew but a lot of it surrounded um, like Cannes, France, like the Cannes mm-hmm. Film Festival yeah. and things like that. So before we get into anything involving the film festival, though, in June of 1946, Cannes Sportwear boutique owner Jacques Heim relaunched his two-piece swimsuit, which would be the first swimsuit to resemble the modern bikini, which he called the Atome, in 1946. They took the name from the word atom, which is the smallest known particle of matter, in case you didn't know. So with that, the Atome was advertised as being the world's smallest bathing suit. Right, and... It was, it, and it resembled kind of like a bra on top, but still, I think the thing that set the Atome apart from the bikini uh-huh, was that, again, <laughs> the belly button was the covered The goddamn up. belly button. So at the mm-hmm. same time 
that Haim is doing his thing, this other French designer by the name of Louis Reard, who actually wasn't a designer at first. He was an engineer, but he took over his mother's um, lingerie business when she was unwell and got super into it, I guess. So <laughs> Louis Reard came out with his own itty-bitty swimsuit, which he named the Bikini, after the first test of a nuclear weapon at the Bikini Atoll. Right. So I found this to be very interesting. So both the Atom and the Bikini. So... The reason why both of those are like kind of scientifically related is because, again, Hollywood really dictated what happened in fashion. And the big word that people used for Hollywood starlets was bombshell. So you had the Bikini Atoll, which was the um, first place that the United States tested nuclear nuclear bomb. bomb. (laughs) And then you had the Atom, which was an atom bomb basically like a bombshell so both of these both (sighs) of these names um but because reard's design was even more revealing yeah it was just this teeny tiny skimpy piece of it was made of 30 square inches of fabric and Mm -hmm. it was made of four triangles so it really it was the first triangle bikini bikini Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah and this, like you said, it was the first time that a belly button would make an appearance. And because of this, he had a really hard time finding a model to wear the swimsuit for this presentation. And he ended up turning to a 19-year-old nude dancer by the name of Micheline Bernardini to model it for him um, for his July 5th presentation that he was going to have that was, you know, going to present the bikini to the world or whatever. How do you feel about that first bikini? Um... I feel really gross about kind of what happened afterwards, especially because I think of the 19 year old girl modeling it who got like over 50,000 fan like yeah. letters from well, men. That's not surprising. Um, I don't know. I don't have any great. Fe- Do you have feelings on it? I, feel I like just you have think feelings. it's ugly. I mean, well, it's just like it's there's a lot of fabric happening in the front. Like the, yeah. front, the front of the bottoms of the bikini are it looks like the back. Like there's like okay, so but much fabric. Notice that that's like a thing now. I've noticed that with bikinis is that girls will wear them and they're like loose. The fabric looks loose on the crotch, but it's like a style thing. It's it's a lot. It's it's. I don't love the way it looks. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I, I would, appreciate it. I, sure, I think that's I mean, all I can kind of think about. It's like it's not all of these. None of them are like things that I necessarily would be like, let me get one of those. It's the first one. I'm like, it's fine. But, but I but, think what's so it's just fascinating because of how little fabric and work he really had to do. Like go went into making it, you know, I mean, truly like what a groundbreaking thing in terms of design because yeah how many of those can you crank out there's and like you can buy a roll of fabric and how many bikinis can you get out of that a lot because it's really so little fabric and it would take so little to actually construct it it doesn't take an engineer's mind to put a bikini together but it did take an engineer's mind to put a bikini together it just took somebody who was daring enough to do it i mean and it really does speak to the time that he had to go to a nude performer, a 19 year old girl who was a nude performer at the cafe or at the Casino de Paris to do this thing. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Nobody else would do it. High fashion models wouldn't do it because it was that risque. And it was actually pretty slow to take off 
in other places like yeah people were like, there was huge publicity surrounding mm-hmm. it and there was a lot of like controversy but it wasn't like american the bikini designers, came out and now everyone's wearing it right that definitely wasn't the case right american designers were not clamoring over themselves to start doing this they were no. hesitant to follow suit um and it really wasn't until again the film industry and in, in this case the french film industry when bridget bardot wore one as a 17 year old which icky yeah knowing this whole story I mean so she was at the Cannes Film Festival to promote you know one of her movies in 1953 and she was photographed on the beach wearing a bikini but she's wearing she's not wearing one of the little like string bikinis because I believe you can't see your belly button well she was in a movie so in 1952 I believe the movie that she was actually promoting is called The Girl in the Bikini and she's 17 oh yeah yeah and so she is wearing a bikini and there are stills from this where it is showing her navel. Okay. Um, and then I do think when she was at con, she was photographed on the beach, not wearing a traditional bikini, wearing a, a different two Okay, swimsuit. so that's what I'm thinking but of. But still, yeah. she was, this is when we start really seeing, I mean, of course, from the very beginning, the fact that we had to get a nude dancer to be the first person to display this. She got so much fan mail. And then it was Bridget Bardot, who was a sex symbol of her time as a 17 year old, you know? Yeah. And this um, was like 10 years later. So this was not quite 10 years. So, but yeah, I mean like we're talking 1946 to 1952, 53. Yeah. Um, but you have the sexualization of this item, right? Where it's just like anytime you have a woman's body that's being revealed. And so at once you're having this freedom and liberation of we no longer have to wear woolen garments that are hot and uncomfortable and killing us um, because there are weights sewn into the bottom of them. Um, And we can actually go to the beach and just be free and comfortable in these, in these garments. Right. So you have that liberating feeling of it while simultaneously the world and society is objectifying you and leering over you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting though, how, Bridget Bardot and this whole stunt, if you want to call it, really helped the Cannes Film Festival and also really helped her career. It really put her on the map. And in my opinion, just from what I've read, it kind of paved the way for the sex symbol in a way oh, in yeah. Hollywood as oh, well. Because yeah. you started seeing Marilyn Monroe, Rita Hayworth, mm-hmm. other you know more sultry stars of the time began wearing bikinis to, to the, the beach and things like that and being photographed in them. And it started to become more normalized for the sex symbols of the world sure. to wear I mean, something like and that. And this was also around the same time, like the mid-1950s into the 1960s was around the same time when private pools began becoming popular. So it also became this thing where your swimwear was something that you could do within the privacy of your own home. You didn't have to go to a public pool or the beach or anywhere public, right? So it became a little less scandalous. Well, and also it probably, you know, the more you're wearing your bikini at home around the pool, the more you're going to feel comfortable in it. So when you're going to the beach, you're not going to feel as awkward. You know, I think that there's also just the people wearing the bikini getting used to what it feels like to wear it as well. And then also, like, shortly kind of after that, we got into this wave of, like, beach craze in popularity. Oh, yeah. Surf in USA. Surf in USA, Mm -hmm. baby. Did you know what they say my last name in that song? 
Really? Yeah, apparently there is a group of beaches in California called the Haggerty's. And I would always say, they're saying my name, they're saying my name, because I always mishear song lyrics. So people were like, no, like they're not saying your name. <laughs> they don't trust you. You're wrong. And like randomly, I heard the song one day and I looked up the lyrics, and sure enough, it said that. And so I Googled it. And there's beaches called the Haggerty's. So wow, look at that. Suck it, everybody. Um, <laughs> everyone who doubted you. How dare you? <laughs> to everyone who doubted me, look at me now. Um, so no pun intended. I literally just wrote this out. I was like, a wave of popularity in surf movies began. <laughs> yeah, it, but you know wave. what? Even so, there were a lot of old-fashioned types that found the bikini scandalous. In 1957, a young woman who was interviewed said that it was, quote, inconceivable that any girl with tact and decency would ever wear such a thing. But, look, the tide, the tide changed <laughs> very quickly, um, and it became far more commonplace among everyday Americans for people to wear bikinis. Well, and when you think about it, when you think about the birth of the 1960s, you're also thinking about the birth of the sexual revolution Absolutely. and the second Women's wave of feminism lives. and mm -hmm. all of that. So there really did seem to be a very fast shift. Oh, very fast. In 1960, Brian Hyland had that hit song, Itsy she Bitsy. And itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini and also itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini is way too long of a name it's way too i didn't like typing it i didn't like writing it i didn't like typing it it's not okay it's so but, long just call it yellow polka dot bikini we get it right it doesn't need to be that long but um do you remember the yo play commercial where they use that yes. song oh my god every boy in my class is obsessed with singing that song which also but, gross because i think that the point of that yo play commercial was about losing you, weight i think yeah if right? you eat enough yogurt you can be thin enough to, to wear, wear a bikini, bikini. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's what it was. I, that's exactly what it was. But I looked at the lyrics to the song as well because it's the commentary it's making in the song is interesting because it's about this girl who buys a bikini and she's very excited. But then once she gets it on at the beach and she has to she's step scared. out of the changing room, she's scared. Which who among us? I've definitely been real bold in, in a changing room uh -huh. and, then, and then put the outfit on to go out. And then I'm like, what was I thinking? I'm not brave. Yeah, I'm not brave and then enough. she made it out. But then when she got in the water, she didn't want to get out because she was afraid everyone was going to see again like it's a really funny song but it is very true to the time where it was like women wanted to be able to express their bodies and their sexuality but then once they were brave enough to do it it was like oh but can I it rings I true don't know. now I think it, it rings true now you what know? a deep song yeah truly <laughs> Brian Highland wow um, by 1965 Time magazine also reported that owning a bikini was so common that you would be considered a quote, square almost square if you you didn't wear one and also wrote that 65% of the young set had already gone over. I love that I'm that's calling, how they put it, like gone over to the dark side. And you I'm know? also calling Gen Zers the young set. The young set. On. Oh, wow. <laughs> Me too. I'm really just going to lean into this like being old thing. You I, know what I discovered the other day? I was just like talking about my interests with somebody and I was like, I think I'm actually trapped in the mind of a middle-aged gay man's body. Do you <laughs> mind. Think you know so? I mean? Oh, I love Golden Girls. I go to bed early. I like to. I, I don't know. I'm like. I feel like I'm like a middle-aged gay man in my heart. I feel like I'm 
young inside. Like I love I feel Liza like, and Judy. Like I just feel like yeah, it's like it's it's true. not so much me and how I act or how I feel. It's more like my interests. I feel like you should retire to Palm Springs. <laughs> that feels right. For or you. like Miami in the Birdcage era. Yeah, I feel like that feels good. It feels really right to me. I don't need to go out and party late at night. Give me a, a dry brunch. It's all linen I need. Button ups. In your future, I feel like that's good. A lot of big floppy sun hats. Yeah. Whereas like for me, it's so weird. I feel, I feel like even though when I'm around young, when I'm around the young set, (laughs) I feel like, oh, I'm not the young set anymore. But uh, when I'm not, you I'm feel like, young oh, as hell. I feel, yeah. Like I feel the same as I did when I was like 22. Like I feel like, you know, I feel I know. both very young and very old at the same time. Yeah. You know? You yeah. Know what I'm saying? Mm. Oh man, I'm almost 30. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's great on the other side of 30. It's great. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, do you want to start talking about some iconic bikinis? Oh, sure. I didn't film? make any notes on this, so take it away. So this I found very interesting. So in 1962, Bond girl Ursula Andress oh. emerged from the sea in gorgeous. a white bikini in Dr. No. It, she, unbelievably gorgeous. And this scene has been named as one of the most memorable throughout the entire Bond series, with Channel 4 declaring it the top bikini moment in film history. You know, it's moments like that that really make me question my sexuality, where I'm like, am I straight? I don't know. I don't know. Because like, you look at something like that and you're like, True beauty. True beauty. <laughs> you know? True fucking beauty. Yeah. You, and it can be a sexual attraction. It can also be an appreciation. Absolutely. Like, oh my goodness. So Ursula said of her iconic moment, the bikini made me into a success. As a result of starring in Dr. No as the first Bond girl, I was given the freedom to take my pick of future roles and to become financially independent. So she was like, there. she saw this as like a very positive experience Mm -hmm. for her she became very famous after this she had a pick of roles it's that double-edged sword isn't it where it's like I feel like so many women and I'm like more power to you I would do it too if I could where you are playing societal norms and the patriarchy against itself right where you're just like fucking incredible like if you can do that do it if it makes you feel empowered even better you know and she was very good about you know, not hearing a lot of the negatives. Her name being Ursula Andress got turned into Ursula Undress. Right, yeah. You know, things like that. But it seems like she was like, look, I'm making money and getting booked. So what are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? Like, you you can't hurt me. Right. And <laughs> using the things at your disposal, you know, I should lend you uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yes, that was yeah. one of the ones that you posted that I wanted to read. Yeah, I own it. I'll, I'll lend it to you. But she talks, I mean, she as a fictional character, but kind of the same thing where it's like being, you know, in a bikini kind of like change, changes her career yeah. and like talks in depth about like how women you should be able to use those things to your advantage. Like play the system against itself. Exactly. You didn't make the rules. You're just (laughs) following the rules. Exactly, my friend. Ursula's Bond bikini is what inspired Halle Berry's bikini as a Bond girl in Die Another Day, which would Also iconic. Right, which would come out 40 years later. So though Dr. No's bikini may be critically held as the most iconic bikini moment, I think that most of the public would agree that Princess Leia's bikini oh, yeah. in Return of the Jedi in 1983 is truly the most iconic. And this bikini in particular, it's a little bit, 
it's a little problematic. Right, of course. So let's set mm-hmm. the scene a little bit here. Princess Leia has been... Which if you haven't seen this movie, what are you doing? What are you doing? Which honestly, I didn't watch any Star Wars movie until right before The Force Awakens. I watched wow. every single movie in like a weekend and okay. then saw The Force Awakens. Now I've seen all of them. I love all the TV shows. But I wasn't interested when I was younger The at original all. Star Wars movies are so good. So good. So fucking good. Um, so... Princess Leia is imprisoned by Jabba the Hutt, this really ugly looking slug creature guy. Mm -hmm. And it's very demeaning. Like she's in chains and wearing barely anything. She's enslaved and she's Mm -hmm. in this like metal bikini kind of pant get up thing. And she's in this headdress. And we're used to seeing her in this very modest white dress and you know her hair and the buns over the ears and we're not used to seeing her being so exposed well she's a sexual object 100 that's that's what she is and i think that the scene for women watching it is very different for men watching it because this scene kind of became like a pivotal moment for a lot of young men as like their sexual awakening and things like that as in in the 80s when this movie came out And for her, it was really a kind of traumatic experience. Like she was talking about when they were running the scene and there was like no acknowledgement of her in the scene during this rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, um, hi, like I'm, I'm here too. What can I do with this, you know, situation that I'm in? And she also wrote about it in her memoir that she came out with later in life. And she described it as what supermodels will eventually wear in the seventh ring of hell. Mm-hmm. Also, do you know that Carrie was only 19 years old at the time? Yeah, I, I do remember also her saying that she demanded that if she had to wear that outfit, that she got to kill Jabba the Hutt. Well, Which, this is, spoiler, I mean, for a movie that's like 50 years old. but Well, and this is, she actually goes on to talk about that. She said, when George Lucas showed me the outfit, I thought he was kidding, and it made me very nervous. I had to sit very straight because I couldn't have any lines on my sides, like any little creases. What redeems it is I get to kill Jabba the Hutt, which was so enjoyable. I sawed his neck off with the chain that I killed him with. I really relished that because I hated wearing that outfit and sitting there rigid straight, and I couldn't wait to kill him. Right, but I mean, you have what she's saying there, and the fact that like the other examples that we've given are um, examples from... As, as, as sexual beings, basically, Bond girls. And then there's also Raquel Welsh, who, you know, famously wore a bikini that was like a, a animal skin bikini. Yeah. Right? Like, and in all of these cases, what these things have in common, when you're talking about Carrie Fisher, you're talking about like how she had to sit upright because she didn't want any creases. So you are talking about intrinsically tying the bikini with a certain body type yeah and saying you know emily post i I put in my notes like emily post who is the etiquette master right was talking about how bikinis you could only wear a bikini if you had a certain type of body right and i feel like that kind of thing um became more and more popular into the 1970s i feel like the late 1960s into the 70s and then it just continued on through the sports illustrated era of of swimsuits definitely you know and I think that that is why so many women nowadays have so many issues with the idea of bikini season summer season and um you know swimsuits in general yeah Yeah. totally 
1988, the bikini made up nearly 20% of swimsuit sales more than any other model in the U.S. And around this time, we started getting the whole Kini family, the Tankini, the Yeah, oh my gosh, the the Tankini. I loved me a Tankini. The Tankini really had a moment. Had a big moment. Had a real moment, yeah. That's kind of where we went back to not wanting to show our belly buttons. Well, the other way. (laughs) I feel like the Tankini was was meant for parents like mine. Like, I feel like the tankini was like a compromise for conservative parents where my mom was like, I can't stop her from eventually wanting to wear a two-piece, but I can say you can wear a two-piece, but a tankini. Yeah, totally. And that's what happened for me. Well, and then also in the 90s, skin cancer became more of a concern for people. So swimsuit styles kind of reflected that. The one-piece kind of made a moment again, but it was like a very sexy one-piece that still showed a lot of skin, but there was a bit more like health conscious you know awareness going on at the time yeah, when it came to skin cancer weird one piece designs where I'm just like I love the effort but also fear the tan lines you know like there's a lot Makes of weird no sense. one piece things happening very uh, weird very well. bizarre mm-hmm. um, and just like anything with the new millennium everything got skimpier everything got lower mm-hmm. higher shorter tighter all of that and so the bikini really I feel like probably had its first biggest moment probably like in the millennium of that like really tiny micro ultra low rise bikini which you really had to shave down there man uh, yeah I mean you're already talking about like the original bikini was what 30 inches of fabric or something like that and like I said it looked like a lot in the front judging by our you know modern standards right so going into the new millennium where everything was itsy bitsy teeny tiny um you're talking what is that in the front like five inches six inches like tiny and in the bottoms too like there was high-waisted was not a thing it Mm -hmm. was all low 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 brazilian cut too where it was just like the cheeks were out honey yeah yeah everything was out french designer olivier salard says that the bikini became the most popular beachwear in the world due to quote the power of women and not the power of fashion. Mm. The eh, Just like, hear me out. We're going to talk about it. I'm not saying he's right. The emancipation of swimwear has always been linked to the emancipation of women. According to Beth Dink of Charleston with the Costume Institute of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, she says the bikini represents a social leap involving body consciousness, moral concerns, and sexual attitudes. So I heard you go, mm, at the first thing. Yeah, that- I, I don't think they're wrong in any of that. I think no. that they're right. But but <laughs> I also think that unfortunately, because the people in power are almost always men uh-huh. of a certain age uh-huh. and almost always white men of a certain age, um, unfortunately, like, yes, of course, it's like linked with progress. It's linked with women's liberation. And that's why I personally, I love a bikini. I think the bikini is a liberating garment. Um, however... When the people in power and when the people who are in charge of making decisions about what goes on the cover of Sports Illustrated, what's in the the zeitgeist in yeah. general, um, who's designing these things for women to wear and how are they presented? Are they presented That's slow motion? That's where it becomes less about right. the person wearing the item and more about... How we perceive the item and exactly. the person wearing it. Because it's like if the view is and again I'm all for like Ursula Andress like get your money honey secure the bag do what you need to do but when 
that is the image we have of the bikini is slow motion coming out of a water soaking wet with that body that's strictly from the male gaze, you know, shot by a, a male filmmaker designed by a male uh-huh. like everything really is very much controlled by men i think it's about women's own perception sure of the bikini yeah. that makes it that way because it it isn't presented to us for us to feel empowered by it that's not what the bikini was created for i highly doubt it it seems it's created highly for us sexualized. to feel sexy yeah right exactly. and for other people to perceive us as sexy for us well, to reclaim it as something else is something we're choosing to do which exactly. i think we should actively be doing and this brings me into one other thing that i wanted to discuss before we finished up or anything but there was a controversy back in 2013 with gwyneth paltrow who i'm not here to be on gwyneth paltrow's side on right. anything yeah anything but she came out with a bikini that was made for children between the ages of four and eight i saw pictures of it it's just very basic there's nothing there's already sexy about it it does right but this was it was like back in 2013 this bikini line came out and this child abuse advocacy program called kidscape came out just like heavily against it talking about the sexualization of children and how it's dangerous to be dressing our kids in these swimsuits and things like this and to me it's it's so harmful because that's what's setting women up in the future to start feeling like what they wear is going to dictate whether whether or not they're going to be a victim of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that that then starts in their minds very, very early when you're mm-hmm. already policing a four-year-old who just wants to wear a swimsuit to the beach and doesn't want to be hot. I was a naked swimmer. I didn't understand the concept that you wore a swimsuit when you swam because you didn't wear a swimsuit in the bathtub. So till I was like four, I would like take my swimsuit off at the lake and then jump in. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it's I'm, like you should just let kids be fucking free to be themselves and don't sexualize them yourself. And you're you're the one with the problem, sir. <laughs> oh, I absolutely agree. You know, but it's it's one of those things. It's very again, I think it's kind of like a more nuanced conversation because like we had that whole conversation talking about children in beauty pageants as well, where it's just like, yeah, this shouldn't be a problem, really. It's a problem because there are like sick people out there. Now, would I say it's enough of a problem for me to be like going after Gwyneth Paltrow? I can go after Gwyneth Paltrow all day for all manner of things. I can go after Um, her for so many things. It's not going to be about a a child bikini. I wouldn't go after her for this because, I mean, unless probably it also costs like $8,000, which in that case, like, fuck you, Gwyneth Paltrow. But um, I wouldn't go after her for this because it's just like, yeah, swimsuits exist and two-piece swimsuits for kids exist and there isn't a problem no in my book with no. any of that stuff if you haven't you have concerns i think that there can be valid concerns because the world we live in is shit um but but i think it's like it's it's just not acceptable to me to have to that. police it that way yeah and for, i agree and for that idea to be perpetuated because it's putting the 100 onus on I one agree. a child yeah Who's just trying to be comfortable. It's just trying to be comfortable and live their goddamn lives. That's it. You're the one that's making it a problem, you know? And why are you making it weird? Yeah. Why do you have to be sexualizing this child by thinking about it that way? Yeah. You're gross. Sure. You're gross. All right. Well, 
I got to pick my mom up from the airport. Yeah, I got <laughs> to get you out of here. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. If you have thoughts, uh, please let us know. I mean, I find topics like this so interesting because they're so nuanced. It's just like I find the bikini and the history of how we got here to be very liberating and interesting. Um, but at the same time, I also think like most things, uh, they've been turned against women and and used as a tool to make us hate ourselves, yeah. which I hope and I see we are reclaiming as we move forward. Yeah, I we see have to so take many back people. the bikini and the bikini body. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I mean, I remember reading that quote for the first time where it's it's so cliche now, but it's like, if you have a body, you have a bikini body or right. whatever it is. But I remember the first time I read that and having it blow my fucking Me too. mind. It's like everybody is a summer body. Yeah. Everybody is a bikini body. And if you have more, a body and it fits in a bikini, then you have a bikini body. Yes. Yeah, like, and the more you're able to express that vulnerability, if you want to, if that's something that, you know, the style you like, your comfortability, whatever. I just think the more we see people of all different shapes and sizes wearing bikinis openly, the less we're going to feel crappy about ourselves because we have this idea still in our heads about what we're supposed to look like rather than just enjoying ourselves mm-hmm. do, doing our summer activity. Mm-hmm. Damn and it. the more we're going to see beauty in it as well. And yes. that's something that I've taken away so much is like I see beauty in so many different body types and it's allowed me to see so much more beauty in myself. So we hope that you all have a wonderful summer season. If you want to wear that bikini, wear that bikini. Wear it. We're for it. Yeah. We sound like the Queer Eye guys now. (laughs) It's like their little like wrap up at the end of the episode. Do it. (laughs) All right. Well, if you have any topics that you would like for us to cover coming up, you can go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you want to wrap some Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist merch, you can go to the link in our Instagram bio or the link in the show notes wherever you're listening to wear some of that. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the fellow listeners on the group page. Last but certainly not least, if you haven't done so already, please scroll over to your Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. I'm going to say it really, really fast like I'm at the very end of an info commercial. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here are all the side effects at the end of a pharmaceutical commercial. Exactly. Yeah. All right, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.